Welcome to the New York Times Popcast. You're the less I know, the better of music news and criticism. I am your host, John Caramonica. That's what I'm saying. Y'all kids like Space Jams because we just played one for you. That is Borderline 1.0 OG version, OG unavailable version, uh, except it's available right here on the podcast. Um, That's Tame Impala. Tame Impala is back with a fourth album that is called The Slow Rush. And I want to qualify this week's episode by saying up front, I don't get it. I want to be honest. But that's okay, because just because I don't get it doesn't mean other people don't get it. So we have two people who most assuredly get it to talk about Tame Impala and all things Kevin Parker. John Perales is here, chief pop critic in the New York Times. Back again. That's right. Great denim jacket, by the way. Thank you. It's a nice. It's a good color. It's a good cut. I appreciate you bringing that. Oh, and a roll neck? Uh, JP, you're really <laughs> doing big things today. Fashion plate always. JP, I didn't, I didn't catch the roll neck when you walked in. Okay, I'm glad to see that. Glad to see people are dressing up. To JP's right, my left, Jill Mapes is here. Hi. How's it going? Great. <laughs> Great. Jill Mapes, senior editor at Pitchfork, wrote the review of The Slow Rush. And to Pretty my much mind— definitive review. That's what I'm saying. Like, Thank you. Like, I, I, I want to be honest. Like, I read around. I don't know if it's at the discourse about Tame Impala. like, not at the level it should be or— People were not as excited about this record. I don't know, but I thought this review really made the case, even to me as a person, where I was like, nah, <laughs> I don't know about all this. So, okay, but John, here's where your aesthetics are just your roadblock. Tell me about my aesthetics. Okay. <laughs> this is like my dream. Your aesthetics are percussive. You like crispness, you like digital clarity, mm. you like fast articulated syllables. That's accurate. And instead, Kevin Parker comes at you with heavily layered, blurry-edged, floaty things that just don't register. That lack meaning? Is that what you're saying? No, no. (laughs) That that lack that cheap impact is the only thing you can see. I'm so glad this wall is padded because you just knocked me right back into it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. You confessed on an earlier podcast that your first review, your first review in your entire illustrious career Mm. was P.M. Dawn. That's true. In the Stuyvesant High School Spectator. Yeah, and P.M. Dawn. Go cop that. Go cop that rare 1991 or 1992 issue. I'm sure it's been PDF'd. I assume it's on frames at the high school. I assume it's like on the wall at the high school. But anyway, P.M. Dawn, beautiful, floaty, blurry-edged, drifting in space, easygoing, and now you've turned your back. No, but you know what PM Dawn had that Kevin Barker, I do not believe, has? PM Dawn had two things. One, I believe that the richness of PM Dawn's melodies were 
much stronger and also much crisper. Number two, PM Dawn, I believe, had what felt to me like an explicit connection to grounded soul music of an earlier era. And I understand that Kevin Parker is out here in the 70s and yada, yada. I get that. It just feels to me and I like ambient music, but it just feels a little spacey. But I don't want to dwell. I don't want to get too caught up in like what I think. That's that's fine. That's just I'm just one guy. But I have two people here who really seem to get what is happening. Jill, do you want to talk us through this album? This album is worked on over a long period of time. And JP, you sat with Kevin Barker like a year and a half like ago. eight years ago for this for this <laughs> album profile. But we'll, so we'll get to that. But can you talk, Jill, a little bit through? what he's been up to and why this album sounds the way it does compared to previous Team Impala records. So in the time period between Currents, which was, that was 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was five years. That album really changed where Team Impala went. They were able to headline festivals for many years, like without even new music. He started working with obviously like Mark Ronson solo stuff and worked with Travis Scott and worked with Kanye, worked with tons of people Mm -hmm. out there in the larger pop sphere to try to figure out if he could work outside of uh, his sort of very lonerist way of of making music, as I'm sure we'll hear more about Mm -hmm. from JP. So in that time period, oh, I forgot the most important thing. He got covered by Rihanna, which like never happens. And he just went from being somebody who I feel like was like a big indie band. This was like a big sort of top tier core pitchfork act, I'll say. Like, definitely. <laughs> like, no, for real. So just, you admit that such a thing I admit exists. It. Yes. We, yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. Such a thing exists. Definitely a band that's like gotten multiple best new musics, like really a lot of indie rock, rock listeners, I feel like, who consider themselves kind of cool, kind of edgy, kind of lonely. Kind of lonely. Yeah. <laughs> They were very much love this band, but in the time period, I think it helped that Currents was like so ambitious. You know, it was really like it was still psychedelic rock, but it was so much more in the vein of where he's at now, which is bringing in all these different styles of music that are not necessarily rock based, that are funkier and more soulful and touches of electronic music and stuff like that, which obviously there is a real Mm -hmm. dance groove on some of these songs on the slow rush. So he sort of blew out his sound with Currents and then had this five-year period where his career just went totally nuts. And, you know, whenever artists have that, they have that, like, coming back way, way, way more popular than they were the last time. Mm-hmm. I think it does get in their head, and it mm-hmm. kind of seemed like it got in his head a little bit. Um, yeah. I'd like to listen to the Rihanna version, which is called Same Old Mistakes. Yeah. The original Tame Paul song is New Person, Same Old Mistakes. Yes. Is that accurate? Maybe let's do it in reverse. Let's listen to the Rihanna version and then smudge into the Tame Impala version so we can hear the bones underneath what she did.
So Parker is back, bigger and badder than ever, wearing flip-flops in the New York Times. I just, it's a very directional choice on his part. We're just going to. He's Australian. I don't know. I've never heard of that continent or country (laughs) or any of anything related to them. Uh, As far as I know, it just stops at Dance Monkey. (laughs) The last thing I know about them. JP, you spent, first of all, your piece on Tim Paula came out a while ago. And also your reporting for that piece was a while before that. It was was, the arc of a tortured artist, right? It it was also perfectly planned because I was going to go interview him in November while he was working and watch him make something. With his November 2018 for clarity. Yeah. Back in the, back in the Jurassic era. Yes. And then he was going to put out the album because of course it was coming out in the four months after, and he, then he was going to go headline Coachella. Sure. It's perfect, you know, nice music business timing. I except, often orient <laughs> my creative choices around my Coachella plans. Except that the album wasn't ready for him. He wasn't done by the well, time he played Coachella. song is like six days long. Of course he wasn't ready. <laughs> no, oh, obvious. you did listen. <laughs> I'm still listening to the second track. <laughs> I've been listening since last Wednesday. <laughs> oh, that's like the worst one. <laughs> In my mind, sorry. Anyway, continue. Um, so anyway, so but it also was like a very classic. I thought, as someone who's like interviewed a bunch of people, like far in advance of their records, like there is a sort of like, oh, I have to squeeze the songs out. It's so hard. Like there is this kind of like particular approach to creativity that yeah. his. I have to be locked in a roomness by my that that seems to be in line with that. Yeah, is no, that, that's real. I yeah. think he played me. 10 tracks Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. And what percent of those actually made? All of them pretty much are on the album. I mean, some more finished than others. He had instrumental tracks for some. He had choruses and concepts for others. Borderline was pretty much done. Okay. But I don't know if the 10,000 extra layers of multi-track synthesizers are all in the version that he played me. Fair. But it sounded pretty similar. The melody was there. The idea was there. I mean, and the other one that was, was pretty much done, it seemed, was It Might Be Time. And then a lot of the instrumental tracks for the others. And he was talking about Stevie Wonder. He was talking about Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. He was pretty clear on who he was finding in what was coming out. Do you guys hear that scope of ambition in the song? Because I feel like it, coming into it as someone that maybe is not totally sold on the vibe, I maybe don't hear that complete reference frame ambition. But if you guys hear it, and it could be either way, if you hear it, in what ways do you think it's materialized in these songs? I mean, I don't think I hear like Quincy level MJ masterpiece type of thing going on, but, and I don't think it's like near the level of shine or just like perfect pop hit that I think of when I, Mm -hmm. you think of MJ, but like, I don't know. I, I get a little bit of the Stevie Five, like mm-hmm. in terms of like energy, scope, like ambition, playing, really caring about the technical level of playing and how it sounds and stuff like that. I don't know that I'm, I mean, I think Stevie Wonder is like a genius of music yeah. and I don't think Evan Parker is a genius of music. I, I get his music and I enjoy it a lot, but yeah, I don't think he's on that quite that level. But, I'll, but if I'll you agree listen- with that. <laughs> and then I'll second will, that. Yeah, we all came. That's fine. Y'all finally coming to my side. But, but if you listen to Lost in Yesterday. That's got a big, crunchy Stevie Wonder synthesizer feel. And let us remember that Stevie Wonder sits in a room alone and makes music, too. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of connection of the lone person in the studio. Hearing all these 
interstitial things. You know, we went down in the basement and he sort of made a piece of music while I watched. And it was crazy fascinating to watch. Here's a bass line. Here's chords on top of it. Wait a minute, I don't like those chords. Let's do a completely different chord sequence that fits perfectly on top of the same bass line. Let's do a melody that takes a weird turn that you don't expect. And he's doing this in like 10-second swerves between ideas. Mm-hmm. It's just like pouring out of him. And When I, it pours out of him. Yeah, when it pours out right. of him. And Which I don't know if he even always, used right. that, that bit on the album. But he could do it, and it was he was in the flow, as they say, in Silicon Valley. You know, <laughs> Is he, that what he, they say? <laughs> He was enjoying himself. If anybody wants to manage a stock portfolio for me, please email me. <laughs> com. I don't have any clue what they say. Until this is a good it. week for that. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about sort of Tame Impala in like the larger framework of both pop and rock music? Because he does feel like he's doing something that I don't want to say is completely original in the history of pop music. But in terms of what is happening now in those spaces – he seems to be occupying kind of a singular space. Is that fair to say? And if so, why has it kind of gotten so much traction? I think he is occupying a really interesting space. I'm always really interested in people that come out of indie rock and are trying to both be still be like a musical innovator and make the albums they want to make, but also participate in the deeply commercial parts of pop music. And so I think he's interesting because he has not sacrificed what he's doing with his own music and tried to have a whole mainstream pop career with Tame Impala, but he is fully, you know, this stuff with Ronson and the people that Mark Ronson has gotten him involved with just the level of, of stuff he's doing. I mean, when you're on Yay or you're on Astroworld or whatever, like that is really a big deal. And he is very loved by rappers. He really is. And I feel like it's like, I kind of said this in my review, but I feel like it's in part because he can write these guitar parts and things that like sound like samples, but it is mm. someone new yeah. who is making them. It's obviously a lot easier to clear <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they can kind of customize it, you know? And and I, I get that. It wasn't I think it was Travis that said like, I need that guitar tone or whatever, like when he wanted to work with him. And I think he is occupying an interesting space and bringing some of his sound to music that maybe wouldn't quite have that slant on it. Mm-hmm. Your sample idea in the review was, was great because it's, it's why rappers like him. They can dig in the crates by opening up Kevin Parker's head. Do you think from a, on the level of texture, like the, the, the sonic quality of what he does, if that arrived from outer space not connected to Damon Baller or Kevin Parker, where would you slot it? I feel like we accept the existence of Tame Impala now, but I feel like if another band just arrived, but like if it just arrived out of nowhere, I think people wouldn't quite know what to do with it. Like tiny flickers of new age, psychedelic rock, like all these things that are like woefully out of fashion right now, except new age, maybe like two, three years ago. But anyway, point to, you know, you got the point. Yeah. So like, where would we put this sound and, I still feel like I want to know, like, what is it about him that's so triggering? Well, I love the thing he said in your piece, JP, that was like, I'm looking for, it was something like, I'm looking forward to people trying to parse, like, where, what decade the stuff's from. Mm -hmm. And I think it really varies from song to song or even pieces of the song. I I think that quote was part of a longer disquisition Mm. because I I used the don't use this word word. I said, talk to me about being psychedelic. But, But the thing about psychedelics is not that I've... My my experience with the hallucinogens is limited to like 
<laughs> one hand, maybe. Um, but the thing is, it's about disorientation. The ground falls away. You don't know which what's up and down. And the first album, Inner Speaker, is psychedelic rock from the 60s. But then the next albums are about temporal disorientation. It's like, what era is this from? Mm -hmm. This goes with this. I can use 70s super tramp piano, and I can use house music beats, and I can use psychedelic buzz guitar. It's where am I historically? Where am I stylistically? It's outside the box, which links him to hip-hop, which doesn't mm -hmm. really care what era it came from as long as it's useful. We should listen to something from maybe from Lonerism. That's my favorite of the Tame Impala records. Is there a song that you guys particularly think is representative of this on I'm, this album? I just love Elephant. All right, Elephant from Lonerism from 2012. <laughs> So like in, in the sense that like Tame Impala could be like a legible band, this is like a very legible version of Tame Impala. It's a more rock straightforward yeah. version. Yeah, yeah yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened between Lonerism kind of in the subsequent, in the next two records, kind of before we get to this, like where did it all start to kind of like thread out a little? When did the ends get frayed? I feel like it was really Currents. I feel like Currents was such a big turning point in terms of like setting up the kind of multi-genre, multi-decade span, like just wide span of influence, kind of like longer songs or more ambitious multi-part songs. The structures felt just more turned up. To me, that's really like Currents is the album that kind of changed everything. I don't know. And, and he says, yes, I'm changing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he literally <laughs> says it right there. Yeah. When did he stop touring with Pond? When did he, like, get out of the indie rock band in a van thing? Okay, am I mistaken here? They still tour with him, don't they? Like, he can't do that all alone? Yeah, no, but when was he a member of them? Right, yeah, like, IDing as being in a band versus yeah. being him. Honestly, I feel like it has gotten really more distinct this time around, where the PR is really saying, like, he is one guy. No, he is one guy. Like... I feel like that started to take shape with Currents when it got more popular and there was more of a stake to be like, he's the dude, you know what I mean? So I, f I feel like it was around then, maybe like five years ago, kind of six years ago, that was more of the process of saying, like, we're not and really a band. So Pond is a, in, Pond an is Australian a, band that he was... He played drums for a while. He's a drummer. Yeah, it's like the other um, people that tour with him. They're still a guitar-driven psychedelic band. Yeah. I mean, they could cover Elephant. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of a that's kind of that's kind of a shot. Well, you no, know, it's not a shot. shot. It's truth. It is true. It's totally of the same Sometimes kind. Sometimes the of, truth is a shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally the same kind of sound as old Tame and Paula. I was listening to it yesterday, and I was like, oh, "This guy doesn't sing as good. It's not as <laughs> interesting. Like it's it's a, it's good if you like that kind of music, but um, wow, I don't know. Strong. No no shots to Pond, except kind of some shots as a to shot. Pond. No, no, yeah, what you're talking about. Sorry, it's like Pond. absolutely a shot to Pond. But actually, the other reason I was out in L.A. at that 
particular time period, while the wildfires were still smoldering, right. was that Pond was playing in L.A., so I went with, with Parker to see Pond play. So he was oh. not playing with them. <laughs> he was not playing with them, no. He was like in the balcony, and then they came to him afterwards and saying, you know, what did you think, great producer? But and he it, was like, and you are? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> not like, at all. Not at like, all. like, have we met before? <laughs> no, no, it was more like, you know, sitting around backstage drinking beer, remembering when they all used to live in the same squalid flat as in Lost in Yesterday where they – Remember how great Squalor was. I mean, <laughs> sure. and, but those were happy times for them. Squalor sucks, just if anybody out there is wondering. <laughs> yeah, I'm against squalor, it myself. Squalor sucks. <laughs> I won't mount a position pro-Squalor just to argue, argue with you. I mean, you. you're welcome to, no. but it's going to be a strong no for me. They were laughing at their bachelor pad antics of the earlier era. That part was on the cutting room floor. Mm. That's such a delicious little detail. But he was listening and like trying to be... But he was totally complimentary, pretty much. Mm-hmm. They were old old mates. JP, what did you think, though? They're fun on stage, Bond. They've been playing together a long time. They're really animated. You know, the songs are not as good as Kevin yeah, Parker's songs. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm waiting for the butt. There but, but, uh, it's, There but she is. I did not regret that night out. Just to even go with Parker. That's such a cool, yeah. Okay, that, I want to tell one more anecdote. Yeah, I was going to say. The house he was renting in the Hollywood Hills, of course, had a pool. And... On eBay a few days earlier, he had apparently noticed something called a hydrophone, which is, of course, as, live, as, as you know. Live Googling. It's a microphone that picks up underwater. Oh. And he had also found a pool speaker so that when you're swimming in your pool, you can, you can hear. hear the tunes of your choice. Okay. And so he <laughs> these arrived the day we were interviewing. I think he was hoping to get something even more floaty I was going to say, this is like, it's like, yeah. it's almost like he would have had to invent these things if they didn't already exist. <laughs> so he played some of the tracks through the pool speaker and tried to record them through the hydrophone, but they were too high-fi for him. God. This, this, is, like, too- <laughs> this is like, uh, uh, this is like, uh, is, that not the, is that not in the story? It's not in the story. How's that on the story? This is like a Lord hard Count? time story. Like if they covered Tame Impala, this is like so parody. Like I can't believe this really actually is. happened. That's so, yo, <laughs> I can't believe, yo, I'm going to run a correction on your story <laughs> just to append this you're, to the official You're going to run record. a 500 word yeah. tangent to this story. I'm going to be like, because, uh, of, because of editing choices, this <laughs> incredible anecdote was excluded from the final version. Anyway, Ooh. that's the reason I signed up for this podcast. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, exclusive new beats from John Farellis. Um Yo, that's literally couldn't be more perfect. But, 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 did but you this, get in the pool? Wait, did you get in the pool? I did not get <laughs> oh, No, no, I mean, we weren't listening in the pool. He was he was recording it through the hydrophone. He should have gotten in the pool, yeah. sung into the hydrophone, well, I mean, we, and then I, filtered I, it back through the speakers. I do not know whether in another, you know, when I wasn't there, if he didn't like toss a rock into the pool to get ripply sounds. Yeah. That might be on the album for all I know. Yeah, his body, I feel like, would have made too much noise. This I just feel like this is per- this, this is, like, is I love a perfect this. anecdote. Yeah. It's literally a per- JP. Glad I could help. JP, I, I this is yeah. We're gonna have to talk to Karen about <laughs> getting this back in the story somehow. <laughs> you can have like two hundred words of my next A and L story just to be like, just to be like, here's a footnote from something we ran nine months ago. Just FYI. Um, I'm buying a hydrophone. Yeah, you, I figured you would have one. Pa- Pedro's recording I our next podcast to the hydrophone. <laughs> I, Pedro, I sort of assume your house is just loaded with hidden microphones. Oh. 
I feel like they're in your kids' rooms. I feel like it's in the kitchen. I got a Neumann in the bathroom. That's what you got something in the oven. <laughs> U86. To capture the sizzle when they cook in the, in the I feel like your house is the Clearview AI of microphones. I feel like all sounds are gathered into into like you're sucking them all up. Very close. Okay, fair enough. So don't go to Pedro's house if you if you value your privacy at all, is what I'm saying. <laughs> JP <laughs> Um, Sorry. We have officially lost control. That's true. You guys have fun up in here. This wow. is, this is, <laughs> yes, that's emphatically true. We live for editing. <laughs> Can we talk about Kevin Parker's extracurricular life? Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been five years since the last album, and, and me being a robust investigative journalist that I am, Thought like uh, I know he's done a lot of things, and I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could learn all the things that Kevin Parker has done. And so I went on Google.com and I started googling around. And how convenient that Pitchfork.com. Did you assign this article by a chance? I probably did. <laughs> um, I so definitely edited it. Okay. <laughs> so the article is called Everything Kevin, it's literally so SEO friendly. Yeah. Everything Kevin Parker has done since Tame Impala's last album, 2015's Currents. And it's literally just there are dates. You got some Instagram posts. You got some videos. So he's worked with Ronson. He's worked with Travis. He's played these festivals. He's doing a bunch of things. And then. If you kind of move into the last two, three months, there's this billboard story where he's like, I'm trying to be Max Martin. Yeah. Anybody bought like anybody <laughs> buying this, anybody feeling that this is viable, given his sonic palette. Wow, super quiet, <laughs> super quiet. Let me just say the crickets is in, for me is in part that I think that this is going to sound like a shot at Billboard, but I think that the way they framed that quote, they like put it on the cover. Yes. It really made it seem like he was like, I'm, this is my big goal. Like that was the whole thing. And I feel like when you read it in the story, it's much more contextual of like, I am trying to be a songwriter producer for hire and be more confident in doing that. Yes. Okay. So can I, um, I'll read the full context because sure. yeah. that's fair. Now he wants to take his biggest chance yet, making the leap from studio whiz to in-demand collaborator at the center of the music world. Quote, I hope to one day be able to do what I do on my own in a room full of people, says Parker. CC, me also. I would like that. <laughs> uh, continue, quote, that's the ultimate goal for me. Working with Cabello and Gaga, he realized a lifelong goal, writing pop songs for pop stars. Quote, it's the yin to the yang of psychedelic rock, writing a catchy, sugary pop song that's like three minutes long. He explains, I want to be a Max Martin. Do we like these songs that he's written for other people? Well, they're all sort of wedged into the other people's aesthetic. Yeah, yeah but like, do we feel like, where's the Kevin Parker? Is there like an emblematic one that if we played, y'all be like, oh, that definitely sounds like Kevin Parker versus Dua Lipa? You know, like, or whatever. Is there, like, a good emblematic one? The one that I think, and I feel like it's a little bit of a cheat code to say this because, obviously, Mark Ronson on Uptown Special was very much, like, taking people and letting them, and also on his the album last year, like, letting people kind of do their thing. Yeah. But he's on that song Daffodils and Leaving Los Feliz and maybe a couple others from Uptown Special. And I just think they're more, I mean, he's singing to, I guess it's not really a fair example because he's actually on it. I so don't, he's producing and singing or he's just singing on Daffodils? He did writing and he producing writing. on it, yeah. Okay. He's done these other collaborations 
there's this Ronson record, which I think we all agree sounds like a Tame Impala record. So it's not. You want to get into this Lady Gaga record? I can get into Lady Gaga record. Yeah. Okay. So it's called Perfect Illusion. Is it on Joanne? I don't remember. It is track six. Wait, it actually made it? Oh, wow. Joanne was a dark time. I know. It goes to show you how much I go back to that era of Gaga. (laughs) So then let's listen to Perfect Illusion, which is track six on Joanne. Not a great Lady Gaga record, but here's Perfect Illusion and see if you can hear the Kevin Barkerness in it. Do y'all hear Kevin Parkerness in that record? Sure, the 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 drum sound, the guitar sound, but it's all you hear the Lady Gaga ness too. Yeah, it jumped out the Lady Gaga ness. But here's Lord. the thing: I mean, three four years between albums, I think he's a solo act. He he doesn't have any band guys saying let's make the one like the last one only better. I mean, I really think he's trying to figure out who he is with each album. And this album, he was in a weird limbo for a long time. So the Max Martin experiments, the rapper collaborations, it's like, let's try something. Let's see if we can shake loose some ideas. And I mean, to me, a lot of this album is about getting lost in making this album. Yeah. It's it's very recursive. It's mm-hmm. very meta yeah. <laughs> in a way. like Lyrically as well? Yeah. Or? Well, I mean, I think of like a song like On Track, which is one of my favorites on the record. And he's like, he could be talking about a life plan. He could t- be talking about anything. But I have noticed a couple other critics were like, this is definitely kind of seems like it's about the record. And, and I was like, that's, that's probably fair, you know. All right. Let's listen to Getting Over the Hump on On Track. And it's actually placed midway through the record. It's like, I think I'm getting over the hump. (laughs) (laughs) But strictly speaking, I'm still on. Tell everyone I'll be alright Cause strictly speaking 
he's always kind of slumping into his confidence. He's always kind of going back and forth between like, can I do this? And I'm doing this. I mean, you sort of asked, I don't know if you want to go here, but you sort of asked a little bit ago more broadly. And then we kind of, we're talking about a lot of stuff at once, but like, what is his appeal? What exactly is his thing? And for me, like it is so much about part of uh, that not insecurity but he does have that back and forth or he has that like like the attitude he brings to it his almost self-consciousness or talking himself into it or just little mantras I think the the music has a ton of little repetitive easy to digest sort of like you were talking about new age just sort of self-help language almost but in a sincere way like a person who is feeling this and going through this and trying to adapt to being a loner and and truly singing a lot of songs about wanting to be alone as you talked about in your piece jp but like i think the psyching up process is so apparent in the music you know it's just absolutely there so jp in your piece there's a part picking up on what jill was just talking about there's this part where he's talking about you know, his early performances are so internal and, you know, he's like his head is down and he just can't look at anybody. But then he realized there's some kind of almost like, I don't want to say, is it healing value or some kind of sharing energy that he gets from having something that's a more open hearted performance that's coming from him? I think he said something in the effect of like, no one's going to perform it if I don't or something like that. This is the indie rock Self-conscious. Uh, oh, I can't. I cannot yeah. perform to a large audience. Yeah. <laughs> this is where the indie rock, my coke must sustain me mentality, gives way to. Oh, wait a minute! I'm headlining Coachella. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And 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 I mean, who wants to watch somebody stare at their shoes? Uh, unless it's at my bloody Valentine concert. <laughs> sure. I think if you're going out to perform, <laughs> you should perform. Uh, you know, I don't think he has to learn dance steps from BTS, you I mean, should stand out all, there. For, and, we all could probably stand to learn well, dance steps from BTS. I'm, I'm thinking private lessons. Um, <laughs> what a hookup. But, but, yeah, but, but the other thing is the, the appeal of Tame Impala is lonely people listening to music in headphones yeah. and then really digging the fact that, oh, that guitar tone changes from flange to fuzz. And, oh, wow, there's another synthesizer line mm-hmm. there. I didn't hear that the first time. And these are really lonely music nerds. And it turns out there's a lot of us. And, you know, and they're all standing there at Coachella singing along with Kevin Parker, singing about being all alone. And not talking to each other. <laughs> you don't want to go too far. <laughs> there's some interaction. There's Maybe some. they're taking drugs together, you know. They're just— <laughs> Fair, yeah. fair. Maybe it makes that, it easier, but, but you know, the interaction. So, but is that mode of listening, that that actual mode of listening, that feels like a 90s mode of listening or a 70s mode of listening. Or a late 60s mode of listening. <laughs> yeah, late 60s mode of listening. Yeah, more accurate. Yeah. Um, is that a modern mode of listening? I feel like it is, and I feel like the the he- deep headphone nerd that wants to try to ID, like, clock where he's pulling, what era this is from or that is from, like, the person that wants to see how it fits together, like you were talking about, JP, but, like, I think there's also, like, I don't know. I, I think there's a n- whole other segment of Tame Impala listeners that are like way more, um, it's more ambient. Like I was looking on Spotify, for example, because some of my coworkers seem to think that Tame Impala is like borderline like stream bait, like sort of things that get put onto playlists for like Ooh. doing things. Oh, that and people I, won't turn off. 
Yeah, and 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 part of why songs get picked up to be on like YouTube playlists for studying or like mm. Spotify playlists for like working out or like walking songs and driving music and so many tasks for doing stuff and it's sort of like they're sort of at two different ends of it. One listener, the listener that Kevin Parker I think wants to cultivate and is himself is the headphone listener, the solitary listener, the music nerd who knows the history and wants to be turned on to this stuff and is like a record store geek. And then I think the other part of it because they are very popular is this more sort of like doing stuff playlisting music in part because the music is like the songs are longer the they're very like they change a lot I, I, they're generally a beat it's like even a ballad it kind of has movement in tame and paula land you know I, I don't know it's really bizarre to me that there are kind of these so two lanes function in these sort of like what seemingly uh, divergent ways yeah i i think of them as very different listenerships and oh. I haven't quite sorted out how much the the songs for studying to crowd is adding to their popularity versus the people that are really committed I'm sort of like the jury's out for me yeah that's interesting because I don't think I could I mean besides not enjoying this music <laughs> it's just the the way it functions on a textural level and the fact that it changes so yeah. much my brain would just be like too alive yeah. it would be I would be constantly trying or I would just be so sensitive. It yeah. would be like if someone was like adjusting my chair every two seconds. Like it just it couldn't work. Yeah, but work. we listen for a living. Yeah. If you're keeping it low in the background, it's smooth, it's undulating, it's rippling along, it's 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 hydrophonic. Hydrophonic is that a stereo. Word? All right, hydrophonic. It's <laughs> it is a hydrophonic. Now. But the pay attention to music and not pay attention to music dynamic that you brought up is, is a larger thing in streaming land. Yeah, for sure. I don't think he's deliberately straddling it. I think he's sort of accidentally straddling it. Like what percent of his popularity is is derived from incidental listening as opposed to active listening? Well, because comments are, of course, a complete reflection of Absolutely, the audience. Absolutely, that's true. Um, 85% of his listeners are active listeners. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, speaking speak of comments, please join the podcast Facebook group. It's uh, <laughs> it's very fun. There's a lot of interesting and engaging conversations, a lot of comments. I see you making comments. You know who you are. I see you making comments. But I think the active listeners are commenting. But sometimes you get the, oh, oh it's so pretty that I could just float away on this yeah. music all day. So they're definitely there. That's just me. I'm just leaving that comment. That's I'm just <laughs> <laughs> to undermine the active Tame Impala listeners. I'm just like trying to like offer an alternative. They're already undermined. They're all alone with their headphones. Uh, Don't hurt them. I can't help them. Yeah, you're right. I That's can't the help narrative them. Kevin Parker wants wow. to build up of his fans, I feel. <laughs> Not like kids smoking drugs in a field, like <laughs> accidentally listening to his music. <laughs> well, that sounds a lot. You put it like that. That actually sounds way more fun than my experience of listening to Tammy Paul. <laughs> a lot of this album seems to be about the making of the album. There are so many songs that mention time. You know, the first song is One More Year. One More Hour. Tomorrow's Dust, yep. Lost in Yesterday, It Might Be Time, One More Hour. I mean, I, I think he was kind of thinking of, you know, they're waiting for this album. And it's reflected in the songs. And I also think he got what I call Rapture of the Studio. You're like down there so often you can overdub too many things on Pro Tools and just keep going and going and going. And yeah. I think he's such a music lover that he wanted to try everything the November 19 listening party where the album was supposed to be done. It was at Night Moves in Brooklyn, which has this 
incredible sound system. And I was standing next to him, and you could see his brow furrowing, and it's like he was hearing something that he didn't like, and then he went back and remixed it again. But but it was like there's, there's such perfectionism in the way the parts fit together. So I think he got lost in making this album and you know lingered over it a long, long time. It might be time, which is near the end of the album. It's one of the closer to a banger songs on the yeah. album, is is about all of his friends are growing up, getting married, being adults, and he's still like being a rock and roll musician. And it's like, part of it is what the hell am I doing? And it's like, what the hell else could I do? Maybe if his songs were shorter, he'd be able to get on to the next phase of his life more efficiently. What do you think? <laughs> oh, Ooh. Padded walls. I'm hitting the padded walls oh here. Oh my God. It's just, just a suggestion. Jeez. Gosh. Wait, this is the one where he's basically like, I'm washed but I'm okay with it, right? Yeah. Should we go out on yeah, that? Yeah, let's go out on it. It might be time. It might, it might be, be time, time. <laughs> to go out on it. Yes. It might be time to conclude. That is our show. Thank you to Jill Mapes. Thank you to John Perellis. Listen to every podcast ever at nytimes.com slash podcast. I know I mentioned the Facebook group. The Facebook group is Yankin. Uh, sign up for it wherever one signs up for Facebook groups. I'm not really sure about all that, and i do not in control of it, but it's jumping. Get involved in it. Subscribe to podcasts anywhere you get your audio content, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, etc. And email us at podcast.nytimes.com if you have any questions or if you finally, after three years of trying, have gotten to the end of the Tame Ball song and you'd like to tell us about it our producer is pedro rosada from headstepper media we will be back next week big hydrophonic energy (laughs) pedro every time i throw to a tame impala song can you just play ocean sounds this is one of the few times where i'm going to say no john Okay, that's that's a strong that's a strong disagree from me. I would like to hear strictly uh, beluga whale noises <laughs> every time. That'll be like our Dan and Shay tequila of this episode.